Welcome to CTRM Radio, home of the official podcast of Commodity Technology Advisory and your source for information on all matters related to CTRM. Hello and welcome to another episode of CTRM Radio, an ad hoc podcast from Commodity Technology Advisory and CTRMcenter.com, your place for everything related to CTRM. This podcast is kindly sponsored by Enuit, an award-winning provider of CTRM and commodity management solutions worldwide. To get started in 2023, we thought we'd do a podcast where we talked to a number of different people across the industry about what they saw as opportunities and threats for 2023. Well, some of the recordings are quite short and others are quite long, so they're not all going to fit in one episode, so they'll actually be a part one and a part two. Today, we're looking at part one, and we'll get started with our first interview that Patrick did with Suli Ahmed with Beacon. First, kind of what I'm seeing right now, or what I've, what we've seen in the past couple of years. So, I mean, the past few years have been quite turbulent for commodities, especially the energy industry. When when economies started reopening in 2021 after that first um, initial COVID shock, energy prices spiked. We had natural gas prices hitting record highs in Europe. And then we moved into 2022 and, and things did not get any better. We had the war in Europe, which led to sanctions on Russian oil and also Russia limiting the flow of natural gas into Europe and, and huge problems in the food supply chain. Russia and Ukraine are, are two of the biggest grain exporters in the world. So now we're having record levels of inflation around the globe and and a third of that inflation actually comes from rising energy prices in addition to fueling inflation and 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 possibly making a recession more likely and disrupting energy intensive industries especially in europe the the crisis the energy crisis also had a huge impact on the on the progression of energy transition so russia switching off natural gas led to a record year for coal in europe Countries which were phasing out coal and other dirty assets had to pause their plans. Pretty much a similar story with nuclear energy. Germany and South Korea put the planned closure of their nuclear plants on hold. And, and there was a huge boom in LNG. Europe started importing a lot more LNG that, that, than they have in the past. And they started competing for limited supply, competing with countries around the world, particularly in Asia. And, and there are lots of countries in Asia whose who's, who are largely dependent on LNG for most of their energy needs. First, that meant higher LNG prices, but it also meant some of the capital, some of the investment moving from renewables to LNG and and some actually natural gas related projects. But I think that's all probably short term and it might actually be these changes, this crisis may may actually be better for renewables in the long run because the, the crisis is acting kind of as a reminder of energy security for many countries which which are committed to net zero targets so one of the interesting things about energy markets is that i got my utility bill today and that was a reminder one of the interesting things about the energy markets is that demand can be largely price inelastic it takes really really big price movements to make any kind of dent on demand not only do consumers of energy just have to keep on buying you know you still have to warm your house you still have to turn on the lights when when uh when you need light and 
also retail prices do not always reflect around the globe, the real price of energy, because there's regulatory controls, price caps, subsidies. So that means there's, there's some missing money and that has to come from somewhere. That's the main reason behind all of those recently failing energy retailers in the UK who, who were relative newcomers to the market. They've been offering fixed price contracts to consumers, but buying energy uh, at wholesale rates, floating rates, without any sensible risk management programs. And hence a whole bunch of them go and bust. Uh, but what about other commodities? Since I first started working in this industry, um, one thing that never ceased to amaze me is the interconnectedness of the various energy and commodity markets. What's been happening in the energy markets, like increasing prices, extreme volatility, they're also affecting other commodities. In the metals world, for example, aluminum, steel, and zinc are going through turbulent times as well because their production requires you know, large amounts of energy. Similarly, in ags, a lot of fertilizer companies are having a hard time because they need lots of natural gas. And then when you start thinking about renewables, there are even more connections between the worlds of energy and ags and metals. There's biofuel and biogas as alternatives to fossil fuels. There are all the metals required for batteries, There's lithium, cobalt. Uh, actually, here this is something I read recently. It's a nice trivia. 70% of the cobalt used in electric vehicles, that's 70% comes from a single country. That's the Democratic Republic of Congo. And that's a tiny country. Their annual GDP is about the same as Tesla's annual revenues, about $55 billion. So if the, if the next geopolitical crisis happens to be in Congo, a conflict, some sort of a conflict or a war, there will be serious, serious disruptions to the electric vehicle industry. And finally, there, there are, of course, the carbon emissions markets. All of Beacon's energy clients are involved in carbon markets one way or another. And, and that's a really, really fast-changing market um, evolving, or actually markets, because there, last time I checked, there were 60-plus different carbon markets around the world. You've got all the regulatory and compliance-based ones in, in you know, the various countries, in the EU, in the various U.S. states, but also voluntary carbon markets. Investor pressure is increasing the number of companies, especially the large ones, the public ones that decide to implement various ESG and environmental type of programs. And at least in the short term, the easiest way for those companies to show any kind of progress is, is, is essentially by buying their way to greenness, so to speak. So what to expect in 2023? Goldman Sachs research says that they're expecting a soft lending with moderate increases in commodity prices, whatever that word moderate means. Others believe that the energy chaos will continue into 2023. I, I myself don't have a prediction, but I saw this term somewhere. It said predictable unpredictability. And, and I think that's pretty much the only thing we can be sure of in, in 2023 and, and well beyond 2023 for that matter. Right? Energy markets have always been volatile. They've always been unpredictable. And energy transition that we're going through right now and will continue in the coming years and decades will only make things even more volatile and more unpredictable. There will be lots of structural changes to the markets with new products being traded, battery storage, new types of structures like PPAs, virtual PPAs, and so on. And then we have all these new carbon markets that will be evolving over the coming years. And, and, and finally, and maybe more important, most importantly, 
we will have it new energy technologies maybe hydrogen maybe something else uh, becoming a reality and shifting the energy markets in ways we cannot really predict today so systems wise software systems wise what this means in my opinion is a few things first and maybe this this one goes without saying market participants have to have robust and sophisticated risk management tools you cannot trade without risk management and and they have to be running these in real time or near real time you cannot afford to wait for overnight batches in, in the current markets for our industry trm ctrm industry real-time risk has always been a goal but now it's it's pretty much stable state next your tools and systems have to be flexible and agile so you can quickly adapt to those unpredictable developments in the markets you cannot wait for your software vendors next major release to be able to trade a new type of asset or a structure and by the way one prerequisite for that is to be truly on the cloud not on premise or or some sort of a hosted solution masquerading as a cloud solution but you really need the flexibility and the compute elasticity that a modern cloud native platform gives you finally you have to be ready for an explosion of data as the energy is becoming more distributed more decentralized the amount of data that's required to trade in those markets is, is growing exponentially i think it was before COVID. i was a, i was guest at a panel that you hosted patrick it was an energy conference in houston mm -hmm. and one of the questions was about new technologies in etrm and ctrm and and if i remember correctly, I was bullish on cloud and machine learning. And then I was somewhat skeptical about blockchain. I thought blockchain, cool technology has its uses, but I also thought it was a bit overhyped at the time. And I'm thinking about the same question now, and I, I still have more or less the same feeling. I, I think for the majority of the industry, the cloud has essentially become a foregone conclusion as the way forward. There are some exceptions, but it's pretty much settled. Blockchain projects have settled as well. They started concentrating on problems where blockchain is truly a fit for purpose solution as opposed to you know, every problem under the sun. Machine learning, on the other hand, is at AI. Machine learning, is, on the other hand, is still an area with, with tons of potential. And the reason for that is the explosion of data, that explosion of data that I was mentioning before, because that comes from decentralization distribution of the, um, of the energy industry. I mean, everybody knows about algo trading, and but that's not really the only usage of big data and machine learning in the energy markets. For example, at Beacon, we did a project where we implemented um, with a partner, I believe, using machine learning, a deep hedging algorithm that is a lot more sophisticated and effective than, than a simple linear delta hedge. So about that, markets moving into a direction where there's this explosion of data, and the availability of this data and the insights that you can get from this data all in real time, that is a real opportunity for market participants. And those who have the right tools and the right data science platform will be in a position to take, take advantage of this. And, and in my opinion, others, they'll be simply left behind. We also asked Ito van Lanschot of Tradesparent the same question. Here's what he had to say. The threat is, of course, that our industry is under this particular circumstances dependent on economic cycles and everybody talks about recession. That is the potential threat. On the other hand, the opportunity is huge, Gary. 
Yeah. Uh, and I will talk about the industry in itself, and then you will understand the context. But let me talk about opportunity in our industry. Our industry is all about technology. And what, what I see very clearly is uh, we're seeing a rapid increase in interest, but also in data and technology savviness of the various companies in the industry. And I'm talking particularly about the ag industry because the energy industry obviously is already technology and data savvy. Mm-hmm. But it is a huge um, development going on in, in, in our industry, in the ag industry, in, in the general commodity industry. That makes it savvy. So that for us, is that a huge opportunity uh, can we, uh, that we can cater to that? And that is obviously a continuous investment in the needs of what the, um, the market has. Now, putting that into the broader context of the industry, the threats of the industry is, uh, and they maybe are, are self-evident, but I still think I need to name them, is uh, more volatility, less liquidity, and very importantly, a change in market participants, which actually through all the years that I've been involved in the industry, it's been always an ongoing process, like mm-hmm. cycles, super cycles, and things like that. Now, let me start with the last one first. It is what's happening is a consolidation and an integration of the industry. Now, that's an ongoing process to ages. That's always will happening. Companies go down, companies go up. But what we are seeing is companies, large companies are getting larger and there are less larger players. Okay. On the other hand, what we see is an increase of smaller and particularly local and regional players. And with that is coming the integration of the value chain upstream and downstream. You're seeing a lot of acquisitions happening with parties going upstream or going downstream, which leads all together to what I would say, number one, less transparency. Secondly, less liquidity, less liquidity, more volatility. And uh, what also is a big concern I would have is there are going to be, there are issues around hedging. Mm-hmm. Usually, if you're in the physical markets, you have some natural hedging, you buy physicals, you sell physicals, and you try to match those as much as possible. And hedging, of course, in the financial market, in the financial derivative markets. But there are issues in the financial derivative markets as well, because there is a substantial increase of speculators or non-physical market participants. So there is a deconversion going on in, in this respect between the physical markets and the future market. Uh, the best evidence of that is you see uh, the basis in the United States going to like one, $2 a bushel. You see huge, huge differences there, which basically makes it what Americans call Texan hedges if you put on a hedge on the board. And the other thing, of course, is with this volatility and with these high prices and things like that, there should be a concern about working capital. Now, that's far for the threats. If you're asking me, okay, Ito, in this, in this concept, are there any opportunities? And then I would say, yes, Gary, plenty opportunities. Because with the more volatility and the less transparency that we have, that is basically a trader's dream. Let's speak for itself. But I also see opportunities for producers. Now, producers is in principle risk adverse, is unhappy with volatility, 
is unhappy with less transparency, but if they adapt themselves, okay, on a structure and a concept of what we are calling the concept of risk management for trading companies mm-hmm. with their skills and their systems, then I think the producer, producer can also benefit from the volatility and the less transparency in the market. You probably see that already that, and it's, it's called inflation, but I also think that producers with the sales prices, because it's less transparent, allow themselves price increases, but you need to manage the raw materials. And there is something that we are calling dynamic margin management, mm-hmm. which is a concept and an, a tool that, that we provide. And the concept there is, is to have your information systems and data management in order all right and what i can say about margin management it's basically a process of continuously monitoring analyzing and adjusting margins for the company's operations of course in the response to the changing market conditions and other factors so doing that with the necessary skill base and tool you can maintain and and even optimize the, the level of profitability, profitability of the company. This is something that is, uh, what I would say, a new discipline within the raw material processing companies, learning from the traders, uh, the way they're doing it, but applying it to their own business portfolios. And here's what Simon Wheeler, who's CEO of Energy One Europe, had to tell us. I mean, the opportunities are new entrance to the market there's a bigger customer or potential customer base so it's a great opportunity i think from a software perspective people don't want that monolithic one piece of software they want modular they don't want just one thing to do everything they want bits to you know bits of software that work together and with more of that dashboard or kind of way portal kind of approach that sort of modular approach is definitely something that we're finding more interesting, which is great. And, you know, certainly for us, it's an opportunity because we have, you know, multiple bits of software that cover, you know, lots of what we do, lots of the business that we cover. So challenge-wise, we're piecing that together. We're making things more modular so it's so we can meet that kind of demand. Uh, we're also finding opportunity. A lot of clients that were perhaps deployed on their own infrastructure, they want to go more on onto the SaaS model now. So we're getting a lot of inquiries from existing clients that we've had for many years yeah. that had a deployed uh, deployed software that want to go onto a SaaS model. So they want to, you know, they want us to manage the hosting. They want us to manage the infrastructure and the, you know, the resilience. They, they're moving away from their own data centers. They're moving away from their own sort of IT staff, I think. So we've, we're finding a lot of opportunity there to move more to that SaaS model. Uh, the challenge with that is that our SaaS environment grows and grows and grows, multiple region, multiple availability. We're seeking to do our ISO 27001 certification. You know, that's becoming more important to clients. So as you move these bigger clients out to your infrastructure, that it's more demanding. They want more penetration tests, more reassurances that you're reliable, that you can scale, that you're going to be secure. Not only are we growing our follow the sun uh, capability for operations so on behalf services dispatching trading etc uh, we have that in place now across europe to australia 
we also provide that for our support, so product support, um, and also, you know, our infrastructure spans the globe, so our hosting infrastructure is across the world. So certainly for clients that have multi-region and need that around-the-world kind of support, we, we can provide that both from an operational perspective and from a product support perspective. So again, a, a good opportunity, and it has its challenges, but we've spent a lot of time, effort, and money putting the right infrastructure in so that we don't have delays. The infrastructure's the same on both sides. The operation looks the same on both sides. Now, we do that now for Europe in Australia. So European support and operations are in Australia daytime rather than European nighttime. The next stage is to provide that for our Australian clients. So we've got Australian operations in Europe. And, and again, I think that we're, we're quite ahead of the game on that. And, and it's definitely presenting a good opportunity for us. And then we followed up with Tasha Bertha, who is CEO of Brady Commodities. This is what she thought the opportunities and challenges for 2023 would turn out to be. People are saying that the commodity prices are going to recede, um, definitely in 2023, um, due to the slowdown of the global um, demand. But we do see that the war in Ukraine will continue continue to affect agriculture commodities definitely in 2023, um, even though the supply chain uh, disruptions from the pandemic have subsided. The restrictions on the wheat exports from the Ukraine put in a lot of pressure, as well as direct impact on the other agriculture. So this will definitely result in a shortage in the market, especially around the agriculture. So I see that as a, a bit of a challenge. And then on the metal side, um, the slowing down of the economic growth in 2023, definitely slowing things down. But the anticipation that China will boost its construction and manufacturing this year, we'll definitely see that the base metal side of things will pretty much keep prices pretty stable on that side. I also think well, the one thing the last year was really interesting is how coal uh, went absolutely out of control. Um, that was due mainly to China. Most of the industrial production runs out of coal power. Um, but also on top of that, Europe had to switch across to coal. So due to the Russian um, gas supplies being cut off to the EU. So that will be an interesting market to watch and see how that demand actually continues and how long that will actually continue for. But I do see that the risk on the metal side is all around how China can move quickly um, from its zero COVID policy into an actual open economy. I think that's one of the big risks. Um, and then funny enough, Mother Nature um, actually plays another big, big wildcard risk uh, because she played a, a major role in 2022 um, and I'm pretty sure she's gonna do the same in 2023. Okay, so I do see with all this change and risk, et cetera, in, in coming in 2023 with China coming on board and, and the shortage of wheat, et cetera, that, that all does lead to volatility, um, and which the trading loves. Traders love that. So we, I, I see an increase in trading coming, um, operational analytics, logistics, inventory management across the entire trade life cycle. So that's financial as well as physical. And I think, especially now on the physical side, things are really going to double down on that side. Um, this is where both Trinity and FinTrade act as a con control center for our customers um, because it offers that both the breadth and the depth in functionality across the commodity management lifecycle, but also of the trading of commodities itself. So that's where I see the opportunity. And finally, we spoke to George Bradshaw of Gen 10, 
to see what he thought. Generally speaking, we see, and this is this is nothing new, this is still something that's been in place for a while. There is a lot of volatility in the markets and the high prices and the supply chain disruptions. Of course, that has improved slightly since COVID has um, and lockdowns have, have been cleared. However, they, they are still an issue. And from a, from a company that provides uh, digital solutions to address trading, I find that we still um, get a share, a good share of um, opportunities that come forward. Some of them are established companies, some of them are new companies uh, that are venturing across a different subset of um, commodities. As you know, we do over 100 commodities. And, and I see, for us, I still feel across the commodity supply chain, we still see that as an opportunity for us. But um, also in the carbon side, we also have a fully-fledged uh, carbon, uh, carbon voluntary management and compliance solution as well. So, you know, there's, there's lots of opportunities there for us. We're, we're, we're very busy. We've had a very good 2022 where we picked up some, some new wins in ag softs in Europe, in particular, cotton in Asian Pacific. And we're still working with a number of organizations across a different, um, across a subset of commodities, some in liquids and petroleum and some in metals, of course, where we are still particularly strong. Good. And what about threats? Threats, generally speaking, I see as the companies are delayed. I mean, for me, if I look at how we operate, I see the threats coming from the, the market contracting to some degree, even though there are opportunities. But there's so many different uh, players in the marketplace today there's the process is a lot longer and the client or the prospect is a lot more educated so that's a little bit of a threat for us but i still feel that there's an opportunity for us because the very nature of the fact that we cover a multitude of commodities the market is still buoyant to some degree but i'm very and we are very bullish about um having a, a better 2023 than we'd had in 2022 so we'll be back in a few days' time with part two of this podcast episode, looking at opportunities and threats for 2023. We'll be getting opinions from Jan Vandenbron of Adjibu, as well as Dr. Jens Bartenslager of Fidectus, before Patrick and I will summarise what we have learned. Thank you for joining us. And as I say, do look out for part two of this episode in the next couple of days. In the meantime, this is CTRM Radio, an ad hoc podcast from Commodity Technology Advisory, hosted by CTRMcenter.com, your source for everything CTRM, and kindly sponsored by Enuit. Please do share, like, and subscribe this podcast, and join us in a few days' time for part two. My name's Gary Vasey. Thank you for joining us. Goodbye. You've been listening to CTRM Radio, a podcast by leading industry analysts, Commodity Technology Advisory. You can find more information about us at ComTechAdvisory.com and much more news, views, research, and information on CTRM at the CTRM Center at CTRMCenter.com. Thank you for joining our presenters, managing partners Patrick Reams and Gary M. Basie and their guests today, and we hope to see you on a future edition of CTRM Radio.